Welcome to the WRSU Crew, the revolutionary show to hear all things sports, from your very own Rutgers Athletics to the hot topics in all professional and collegiate sports from around the globe. Coming to you from your own Rutgers students. Sit back, relax, and enjoy your ride with the crew. WRSU Tuesday edition of the crew, uh, nearing the end of the semester here what at Rutgers University. What a shame. University. It's gone so fast. I know. So many Tuesday crews. Uh, this is going to be one of the last ones of 2022. It'll be here. definitely the last oh, one for last me. One. I won't be here next week. That is true. Week. That no is will true. I. That is true. I, I maybe, I'll, maybe I'll just do one by myself. Anyway. Yeah, that'll be nice. I am here, Eddie Kalegi, <laughs> with Alex Carmanati, Dennis Geisler, Alec Krauthamel joining us for the first 30 minutes as well. Always going to start with Rutgers sports, but uh, not the best last few days for Rutgers men's basketball. The rough loss to Ohio State that in the end should not have been a loss right. based on the ruling. Seton Hall, though. Listen. I, I know people are upset about the out of bounds, especially when they showed the close up on the video board. You can't score board. 43 yeah. points in a major you can't conference score 43 game. Points. Yeah. Yes. And let's be honest with the way they were shooting the ball, even if they got a chance with two <laughs> seconds left, they probably weren't making a game time yeah. or game winning shot. <laughs> now, I'll just introduce it with this and kind of leave it to you guys. Sure. I, from watching the game and being there, there were, I'm kind of glad they have this full week off before they play Wake Forest on Saturday. Who's going to be a decently difficult team? It's the end of this really challenging five-game stretch. Right. There are three things that this team, in my opinion, has to focus on to make sure they're set up for Saturday. Number one, and most importantly, is being able to make offensive plays when a defense plays man. Because I feel like now, after seeing what happened against Temple and seeing what happened against Seton Hall, every Big Ten opponent took notes on that. And they know the way to beat Rutgers is to force them into taking tough shots, contested shots by playing man defense. Because it felt like every possession, the same thing happened. There would be a slight press. Paul Mulcahy would bring it up. He'd have no one to pass it to. He'd be forced out to the corner near the baseline. And the defense would be pressed up. They would, because they weren't in the zone, there wouldn't be any lanes to cut to the basket. There wouldn't be anybody open for kickout threes. So Mulcahy would force a pass, and that's part of the reason why they had 19 turnovers. So you have to be able to get through man defense and make good shots and get opportunities. That's number one. Number two, Cliff Amore and Dean Reber as well have to be able to secure rebounds. There were so many times where Seton Hall got second and third chances, and I've noticed with Cliff especially, and Cliff has definitely made major positive strides. This is no knock on Cliff Amore. When you see what he's done from freshman to junior year, he has grown tremendously. But if he is going to be a serious NBA prospect as a center, he has to learn to grab the ball on a rebound versus palming the ball. There were so many times where he let the ball get away from him Because he just used his palms. He didn't use his fingers. He has huge hands. You have to take advantage of that when you're of that size. And there were multiple times he simply did not do that. And if he's going to go to the next level in the NBA Mm. against elite rebounders like Gobert and Valanchunas and Jokic, you have to be able to do that. And for Rutgers, you can't be allowing teams like Seton Hall to get second and third chances. And number three, maybe most importantly, it was very obvious from the tip-off of that game that Rutgers let what happened on Thursday night bother them. And yes, that was frustrating. That's a game that was stolen. They should have won that 100%. But at this point, you have to put it behind you. The Big Ten apologized. There's nothing else that's going to happen from it. 
you have to use it as motivation. And the and you also have to realize the NCAA recognized this. They boosted the Rutgers in net after the loss. The twenty seven, I believe it was. Yes. Correct. Yes, they boosted them up by three spots. So you you gotta just move past it. And they let it hold them down from the beginning of that game the whole forty minutes. Yeah. Now that you've had a week. It'll be more than a week. You have to forget about that. You just have to focus on Wake Forest. And those are the three things that they have to do to beat the Demon Deacons Eddie, you are spot on the dime today. Well, thank and, you. No, you are. And every single point you made is absolutely correct. And I'll start with Cliff specifically because Cliff is a guy. He's a big fella. He knows how to play the game. He's been great here at Rutgers in his three years, whatever it's been. But you make such a great point about him having to – contract the ball, be stronger on rebounds, all of that. And these past few games, Cliff has really, you know, been lackluster. And even versus Indiana, when Rutgers won by 15 points at home at Jersey Mike's, Cliff was nowhere to be found. Cliff was on the bench for the majority of that game, and the fouls racked up against him. So it's the rebounds, it's also the foul, uh, you know, awareness. He has to limit his fouls. And for a guy like Cliff Amore, and again, I'm not sure what it is. Maybe he's a little lackluster. Maybe he's injured, possibly. I doubt it. But Cliff Amore really has to get his game back on track. And Seton Hall, he might have had nine rebounds and five points, but that's not just good enough. That's not good enough. And the, and the game before, even though Rutgers lost in that controversial fashion, Cliff had a double-double of 16 points, 11 rebounds. He played a pretty good game if you look at those standards. And for a guy like Cliff Amore, who, again, is such a huge guy, he's so talented, and following Miles Johnson, following Jacob Young... You know, he was one of those big players to put on the floor with Ron Harper and Geo Baker. Now that those two guys are gone, Cliff obviously should not be your main number one guy, especially offensively, but he plays such an instrumental role in this team. And when he's lackluster, when he's falling short, that's impacting the way this team is playing. Now, thankfully, you've had freshmen like Antoine Wolfork really step up, and Wolfork's been a solid defensive piece. If I really think about it now, you mentioned Dean Reaver too, Wolfork is the better player right now over Dean Reaper. Because yep. we're seeing more of a defensive presence from the guy. And Reaper's Cliff gotten is... a lot better on defense, though. Huh? I'll give him that. Reaper has gotten a lot better no, he on has. defense. I'll give him that. No, I feel like yeah. his offense is kind of quieting down, which his is what I'm more His offense is quieting down, but Wolfork overall, Wolfork overall has been more of a well-rounded machine more than Reaper. And mm -hmm. in that sense, Wolfork, especially versus Indiana, Dennis, you were there front and center. Mm -hmm. He played a lot of solid minutes in that first half mm -hmm. when Cliff was in uh, foul trouble yeah. three, oh. four, five minutes into that Contest. Although I'll give at the same time that Reber also played really well against Trace Jackson Davis That's there, fair. which feels incomprehensible, but he really did. I feel like the issue is that, and I mean, this is something that we questioned going into the season, and I kind of blew it off because I assumed that it was going to be more easily solved, but at this point, with how the offense has sputtered in a couple of games... Sure. You do have to make the question of, okay, who does take an important shot in an important game? Like, we've gotten to the point where I don't know if Cam Spencer can be that guy. Paul Mulcahy doesn't necessarily show the ability to shoot like that. Right. Same with uh, Cliff and... Well, Cliff and Caleb, I would say, right. would be the ones who'd be like, okay, they're the guys to step up, but they're not necessarily guys to take shots like that. Sure. Especially not contested. So your answer is Hyatt, I guess. Yeah, then you have to move down to like Andre Hyatt, Moat Mag. Are you putting the ball in these guys' hands with the game on the line? It's kind of a weird decision. Uh, and I mean, we kind of saw what happened last night when that kind of came to a head. So I don't know. I'm 
I guess, like, and obviously they they should have just on paper won against Ohio State. Right. And if we want to mark that as a win, we can say, okay, if they beat Ohio or if they beat Wake Forest, which I guess we can't even say is like a guarantee anymore. No, it's not. The, but we say they beat Wake Forest. The out of this five game stretch was a success. They beat Indiana. They beat Wake Forest. They beat Ohio State on the road. The loss against Seton Hall obviously probably hurts more than anything else in sure. that group because rivalry game and all that. Sure. But at the end of the day, it's not like a, a terrible foray or anything like that. I guess the issue being that, I don't know, I feel like against Ohio State, it's like, okay, the game was close, but it's a road game, good team, whatever, who cares? Seton Hall, that was awful. That right. was just terrible. And the thing is, and, and Eddie, the defense played great, they it, just can't score. I said this last night, and I said I said two things uh, specifically last night. Defense was phenomenal. This reminds me a lot of that Merrimack game last year, yeah. where they won forty eight thirty five, whatever it was mm-hmm. at Jersey Mike's. Offense was awful. Offense was really t- tough to watch at times, but the defense held the charge and won them the game against a pretty bad team. Now that you have a power five, power six team at Seton Hall, that's not going to happen. And you only put up forty three points, and then you, and, the, and then you lose by two. I think Gideon said it last night. Rutgers dropped down eighteen spots from number twenty seven to number forty five when it comes to, to to those net rankings. Yes. If you win that game, maybe you stay in the top thirty. Maybe you drop a little bit down. I don't know. But at the end of the day. That loss to Ohio State obviously played a factor in what happened Sunday, and it shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. The, you you still, even though you lost, it was admitted that it was the wrong call. You still got a lot of net rankings out of it, and if you if if you beat Seton Hall pretty handedly, I think Rutgers could be a top twenty five team yes. right now yeah. if you win that game. So you look and, at those things, and because of this mistake, and you let these things take over, you take two steps back, three steps back, r- rather than two or three forward, and you're kind of putting yourself in your own catch-22 situation. Hopefully Wake Forest, they respond. Hopefully they're able to beat Wake Forest. But as Dennis said, it's not guaranteed. If they somehow lose to Wake Forest, then we really, really have to start questioning where this team can go. And at the end of the day, what is this team going to look like, especially come Big Ten action? Yeah, and something else I want to point out too as well I feel like one of the Steve Peichel is a great coach and there have been oh no question very, about it very few complaints I have one thing I will say that I've noticed over the last couple of years is I don't know if this is from the coach or from the players sure. they have had a tendency to underestimate opponents at home we've been saying that for years Eddie. and the thing is I we haven't really seen that yet this year before Sunday because they had taken care of business for the most part. They played much better against the mid-majors. The only team that played them close is UMass Lowell, and as we've seen over the last few weeks, they're actually a pretty solid program. But the Seton Hall game, especially since A, it's a rivalry game, B, the head coach is Shaheen Holloway, who played spoiler in March Madness less than a year ago yep. and got St. Peter's to the Elite Eight and had multiple players on that Seton Hall team who went on that run and beat Kentucky, upset Murray State, upset yep. Purdue, got to the Elite Eight. So, like, yep. you know, I, you would have thought they would have been a little more focused. but Well, and that's the thing. It's why I can't, like, and I, I didn't watch the whole game, but I, I can't like say that oh they were just kind of sleepwalking into this game like it's not really indicative of anything because frankly there's no excuse against your rival you can't do this in a rivalry game and it was a very lazy performance altogether yeah so and I, i mean whatever i'll say i'll say that 
I'm not going to just give it a, oh, okay, they'll figure it out, they'll improve, like I kind of did against... Uh, and the other thing is they were healthy against Seton Hall. Like right, That's right. the thing I gave them against Temple. They weren't healthy against Miami. They weren't healthy. Like, at full health, okay, they hadn't lost a game given that they didn't lose to Ohio State. You can't just push this aside. There has to be things that have to be fixed yeah. following this contest. Yeah, and, and frankly, I mean, I... I'm going to hope that they take care of Wake Forest reasonably well. Uh-huh. It's going to be somewhat close. Wake Forest isn't a great team, but they aren't an awful team. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Power Five school too. Keep it's more. Power Five, yeah. I mean, they're 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 a major conference opponent and all that, but they're not like a. It's it's and I, I guess that's the other thing is that Seton Hall. We'll have to see how it turns out, but that's probably going to end up being a quad three loss, which would mean that they wow. have two quad three losses on the books right now. Yeah, and then uh, all which of a it, you realistically should not have that many quad three losses as a tournament team. Right. right. Yeah, and then it starts mimicking what we saw from last year with some of the bad losses. Well, yeah, and, at the very and then least, they needed like, to take care of business. It's not that bad. Yeah. They're not as bad. Well, yeah, like you don't have any quad four losses, right. and it's still gonna hurt though. Right? Yeah, it's and, still, yeah, and it's still going to hurt, and it still means that you have to overperform in Big Ten play well, compared yeah, to what and, you're doing right now. And it's the sort of thing where it's like, I think, obviously there were a ton of mixed emotions after Ohio State, but we sure. were looking at it as like, okay, this team can compete on the road. They can take care of teams at home. They can basically do anything. Right. And after Seton Hall, it's like, can they score 50 points in a game? And that should not be a position that we're in, especially when they're so good at defending their home court and right. they lose like that against your rival. It's like, what are you doing? So, on, a, on a Sunday night where yeah. folks are coming out, you got mm-hmm. Alec Krathammel or Santa Claus coming out there too. Mm-hmm. Well, I and, mean, Yeah, and that's the question because me and Alec were talking about this off the air. Like, they atmosphere we were both there as fans Mm -hmm. compared to the indiana game it just it didn't it didn't feel like the same atmosphere the big Ten, and and that's not to excuse rutgers losing because they have to be able to channel energy and play without the fans playing behind them that's why they played so poorly they did that versus ohio state and guaranteed they lost controversially we we, there's evidence and we can tell that the team can do it it's just it has to be consistent for some reason sometimes they want to do it and sometimes they have to rely on Mm -hmm. Other folks or other aspects to get them moving and going. Yeah, and then it, I mean, to me, the whole building just felt kind of flat. Yeah, mm. I, I agree with that. Like, it got really loud at certain points, especially as like in the stretch run, it was still a close game. Um, but it wasn't like earth shatteringly loud like we heard against Indiana or some of the other big games. I mean, they didn't give the crowd anything yeah. on offense to look at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, well, that I agree with that because it was like you know it was it was an ugly performance on on offense for both offenses really. Mm. Um, yeah. But the yeah. prevailed. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's the kind of thing where it's so. like, I can't, usually the impact of the crowd is that they help the team kind of on defense. They yeah. make the other team a bit more slippery with the ball. Yeah. They turn the ball over more. Like Seton Hall put up 45 points. Yeah. There is no excuse for a team. Like, and I, I can't even necessarily say, oh, the crowd didn't do enough. Like if Seton Hall scored 45 points, I can't say that the crowd was totally removed from the thing or anything. Well, yeah. uh, it, or, did, it did get loud. Yeah. Like, at, at points down like the strat, like the last five five or so minutes of the game, it got loud, mm-hmm. but it just it felt kind of like a reserved kind of loud. I don't I don't really know if I'm putting yeah. it in the right words. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's definitely fair. Again, I was not there. I can't necessarily comment to all of that, but at the same time, I do have to look at it and say, at some point, you can't be putting up forty three points in a game. That mm-hmm. is the the fundamental problem of things. Yeah, is I, you need to put up more than forty three points yeah. to win a basketball game. At the same time, you could also like 
you know, whenever they would turn the ball over, you could hear the frustration out of the crowd. Like mm-hmm. you'd hear an audible groan whenever yeah. there was a turnover. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that was a big and then it issue kind as well. of I guess that kind of affected the morale as they would get get, mm-hmm. get back on defense too. D- don't turn over the ball then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Just like keep the ball in your hands. <laughs> don't don't have yeah. a horrific turnover and numbers I'm, if you don't want to. And it just got so predictable with the offense. Yeah. And I know I know they were kind of surprised by man, but like you have to be prepared to be exposed to that you have because, a half time <laughs> yes and yeah there was no adjustments made really mm-hmm. offensively for the second half and you know you, you gotta be able to adapt because every possession like i said was the exact same way and it would involve paul mulcahy getting trapped somewhere yeah. and trying to either fire a pass down low for cliff amori who really had butterfingers throughout the game caleb mcconnell was covered great by whoever was matched up for him for seton hall and then the only offense they were getting was if Cliff drew people away from the basket, someone was able to drive in like a Mag or a McConnell or an Andre Hyatt corner three. That was the extent of their offense. And something else I want to bring up as well, you mentioned Cam Spencer and the question about if this team has a closer. And I'll, I, I said this at the beginning of the year. My concern for Cam Spencer was that he played for Loyola, Maryland. He played against mid-majors. He thrived the beginning of the season when Rutgers was playing mid-majors. Right. The five games Rutgers has played against teams that are not mid-majors. Nowhere to be found. Those have been his five worst games. Nowhere to be there, found. There's a clear pattern there, and it really makes me wonder. I know Derek Simpson is just a freshman, but the biggest stage so far against Indiana, he looked fantastic. And the fact that he brings speed, there is not a lot of speed in this Rutgers lineup right, right. now. Right, right. And if teams are going to play man, that's one of the ways you beat it. By being fast and trying to get past your man. So my, maybe my thing play more. is, is that, and again, it was a great game by Derek Simpson versus the Hoosiers. Second half, great performance. But from that, A, he hasn't gotten a lot of chances. But B, when he's been on the floor, he hasn't produced. Mm-hmm. He, he, he has not produced following that game against Indiana. And I get it. Two games in, okay, what have, you know, what have you. But with these last two games, the way they've gone... With Cam Spencer consistently struggling against Power 5, Power 6 teams, someone else has to step up. And a lot of eyes are gravitating towards Derek Simpson, not just for what he did back against Indiana, but for what the future can look like for the kid. I mean, the kid is so many has so much talent. There's a lot of bright aspirations and expectations for him. So, you know, at the end of the day, you see the kid as a whole, and you would hope he builds off that performance. He's able to thrive, and he's able to build something in his freshman year to take with him not just this season, but next season, the following season following that, and the next season following that. But in these two games, Derek Simpson and Cam Spencer have done little to nothing regarding the offense and regarding the overall performances of this Rutgers team. So, again, you, you look at those two things, and it's concerning, and Dennis brings up the great point. Who's taking that shot at the end of the game? Maybe it is Andre Hyatt, or because of the situation we're in, Andre Hyatt could be forced to take that shot, and nine times out of ten, he can either make it or miss it, or 50-50. He gets the shot. He might not get the shot, and it could be everything on his shoulders possibly unexpectedly, unfairly, really, being drive towards him when no one else, including Kayla McConnell and Paul Mulcahy possibly, who cannot, who are not able possibly to step up and, step up and take that final shot to win, to win the game for this team. It's just this game Saturday, it, it, it has to be a wake-up call. And if you lose this game, 
we're really, really going to have, have some concerns going into Big Ten play. And keep in mind, I've said this a lot, Big Ten play, you start Purdue, who's no slouch. You got Maryland. You got Iowa. You got Northwestern. You have Ohio State again. So you have five teams there to kick off your in-conference slate of the, of the remainder of the season. Most of those teams are pretty good teams. Maryland's okay. Northwestern's not so great. But Purdue is good. Ohio State but obviously is, is one good. Northwestern is one of the road games, so you do have to keep that, that in true. mind. That is true. No, no, equally, you're right. You would say it's an equally difficult matchup simply because it's a road game. No, no, you're, you're right. I don't disagree with you. At the same time, even though Rutgers lost their game to Ohio State, they hopefully can keep that road at, you know road presence going. I mean, I'll give them that. They did also lose against Miami on the road. Miami's a better team, though. I don't know. Right. We'll have to see how that ends up going. I, mean, I do kind of want to— right. Look, I mean, I mean, again, you know, we'll see how it goes, but these five games are going to be so instrumental mm-hmm. to kicking off the 2023 slate of the season. And three of those teams, Purdue on the road, Iowa at home, Ohio State at home, those three games could tell a tale of where this team goes the entire Big Ten slate of the season. Yeah, I, I do want to kind of I, I want to follow up a little bit on Derek Simpson as well. And I, I feel like one of the other issues on this team is that they don't have, like, they, they don't have any, like, microwave players. Okay. Like... If you just need someone to do something interesting, they don't have anyone to do that. Yeah, we you know had what? Jacob Young. That's we what had I was going to say. Baker. This team is missing Jacob Young. Yeah, He'd be perfect on this team. Yeah, they've been missing honestly, him for two I years think now. That, yeah. yeah, I mean, can't blame him. Took the money to go to Oregon. Yeah, um, I, I and I even you go to a player like Geo Baker and like. Gio would sometimes just pull up at the three-point line and just go for it and see what would happen. And I feel like that's the kind of weird spontaneity this team needs because we don't have someone who will just take the ball up the court and then just heave. Mm -hmm. Um, And, I mean, it's the sort of thing where it's like, yeah, it's not like that's not the most efficient offensive game plan. But as I've said a number of times, scoring 43 points in a game means that whatever you're doing on offense is not working. Yeah. And I would rather see you just heave if yeah. it'll make something more interesting happen. They passed up so many potential three-pointers, even times where they were able mm-hmm. to get a limited amount of space against Seattle. And this isn't like a tall team. I know. Like, you mm-hmm. don't have to be that afraid of your defender. Just take a shot. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, like... If you're taking like a 20, 30% shot, it means that 20 or 30% of the time it will go in and the entire arena will go crazy over it. And I mean, even threes have a better chance to be offensive rebounded and you're a tall team. You can go for offensive boards, just get the reset on the clock. Like something needs to go up to go near the hoop. Because otherwise, what you're going to do is turn the ball over and you don't want to do that. Um, so that's the kind of thing, and it's something I saw a bit from Derek Simpson, including in the Indiana game, is sometimes he'd just pull up and take shots, or drive to the rim, or go on fast breaks. Like, this is a guy who is at least, a, I, I, I can imagine being, and it's where you kind of went with it earlier, not just, like, speedy, but also kind of a more creative, I guess, offensive player. It's really such a weird paradox they're in because I feel like the team is deeper than last year, yet they have less offensive options. Right. Yeah. Because right. you just look at this roster right now because Paul Mulcahy is, has been decent passing the ball and rebounding and loading up the stats, but he is not a big scorer. Yeah. And people were hoping— I mean, you, you go all the way back to, like, 2020, 2021— 
And Paul Mulcahy, like, taking a shot was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was no. it was a comedy joke. He yeah. was there for his defense. He was there for his rebounding. He was there for his hustle. And he's still good at all those things. But and that hasn't at the changed end of the day, to a certain extent. Yeah. And, I mean, he his scoring has gotten a bit better. But at the same time, he's still not going to necessarily pull up. Right. Same with Caleb McConnell. Right, I mean, right. he's there for his defense. Right. He can score. But and he's been asked to so yeah, far this and, year. and that's the thing. It's like he's he's become the leading scorer, yeah. which is not what you want to be doing. <laughs> Putting the the defensive player of the year, Big Ten defensive player of the year from last year, as your leading scorer. That's not what he's there to do. Um, but I I do feel like that ends up being an issue. And I guess the hope was that it would be Cam Spencer who would fill in that role and be able to make those kind of buckets. Seems like he hasn't been able to so far. I'll give him a couple more games. I mean, it's still early on in the season. It feels like Peichel's not super happy with him by the amount that he's playing him less. Yes. Yeah, I mean, when Derek Simpson came into that Indiana game, that Cam Spencer played, what, like He played five? very little of that very game. Very little in the And it half. was easy to miss because Cliff also played very little of mm-hmm. that game, but that's because Cliff was close to fouling out for most right, of right. that yeah. game. Um, the thing I'll give Cam Spencer is that it, the shots are basically in and out, which, I mean, they're not going in, mm-hmm. so obviously that's not what you want to see anyways. But he still needs to find a way to get himself open, and he needs to keep his confidence up. I mean, shoot or shoot, that's that's the mantra, and then it goes all the way. <clears throat> and the thing I'll give Cam Spencer is he's not necessarily a negative in other aspects of the game. His shooting's not there, but he's still playing hard on defense. Uh, he's still moving the ball well in the flow of the offense, even if that offense he's is very that, efficient. He's doing that, but, but again, he's not producing yeah. what we need him to that, do. That's the problem. That's why... You know, at certain points, Peichel is more comfortable taking him out in exchange for maybe a Derek Simpson like we saw against Indiana. Or we saw him going offense-defense substitution with Mawat Mag uh, down the stretch on Sunday. So it's just he's got to get that shot to go in, and he'll be obviously. I mean, feels like I'm Captain Obvious saying as long as his shot goes in, he'll be much more effective. But the bright side that I, I see with Cam Spencer right now, I'm kind of an optimist as it, as, as it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not, you know, he's not really – negatively affecting the Scarlet Knights and other aspects of the game. Well, yeah, and that's that, that's what I'll give him as well, is that it's like, okay, he hasn't been shooting great. His defense has been really solid. He was near leading the country in steals for a bit. Uh, him and Moat Mag were doing a great job on the defensive end of things. So, I mean, great defense, not very good offense. I mean, that's the story of the whole team. Why not have him on the floor? Just mm-hmm. let him take shots. And... The other thing I'll give, and yes, I do understand your point, Eddie, of he was much better against mid-major opposition than he has been against major conference opposition. He does have a couple more games to kind of get into gear and see if he can actually bring that against Big Ten play. I'll wait on his player development a little more because, I mean, there was a point in the year last year and I think a bit the year before where Ron Harper Jr. looked like he couldn't hit a three. Right. Um like I'll, I'll give some of these players a bit of time to get used to things, which and, which is fair. But mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say that Camp Spencer has to have a big game this Saturday. He kind of has to have I don't it. Think he has to. I think he kind of does because I think, I, I think Rutgers could shut. Like I, I don't think they're going to put up forty three points in a game again. I, I don't I think would Wake hope Forest not. has that kind of defense. I think Rutgers gives up like I don't know fifty fifty five points. Okay. They put up sixty sixty five and would hope. fairly comfortably win. I don't think it's going to be like a offensive train wreck like last time or like against seton hall but it'll be more like uh-huh. what we saw against like indiana where sure. the defense plays so well the offense just has to be ambulatory to get anything done you would hope that's the case but the reason why i'm i'm i make the point because we've seen camp spencer 
do next to nothing in these big Power 5, Power 6 mm-hmm. games. And the last Power 5 matchup that you have before January is this game on Saturday. So, and I'm not saying put up 30 points, go off, lead the entire offense. Just give me, give me, give, give me a productive game. Give me 10 points, 15 points. Give me five assists. Don't give me three or four fouls. Don't be stuck on the bench too much. Don't have a plus minus that's definitely minus lower. So I'm just asking for a productive game from Camp Spencer, especially against a Power Five team. Because and again, same conference ACC as Miami. If you can't do it versus Miami, you can't do it versus Seton Hall, you can't do it versus Ohio State or Indiana, this is your last chance to prove to us you could play in the Power Five and you can be a key role for a Power Five team against other Power Five teams. So I think, and again, it, it, it does not have to be 20, 25, 30 points. Give me a solid performance, consistency from downtown specifically, force turnovers, make steals, be a solid presence on that floor, and don't be stuck on the bench. Give me that Saturday. I'll be more confident with Camp Spencer. Yeah, for sure. Well, this Saturday, Rutgers men's basketball faces off with Wake Forest. Ellis Gordon and I will have the call. We'll have coverage for you starting at 11.45 a.m. on WRSU-FM New Brunswick and at WRSU.org. of the week here on a Tuesday, Tuesday edition of the WRSU crew with Alex Carminati and Dennis Geisler. I'm Eddie Kalegi. So I'll start here with my lock. Personally for me, I started off the semester strong. I've had some bad NBA locks the last couple of weeks. I'm now six and six. So if this is my final crew of the semester, this determines if I have a winning or losing record. Last week did not go well because I thought LeBron and the Lakers were going to perform well in their return to Cleveland. And then Anthony Davis left the game with an illness in the first quarter and they lost by 16. So also he's undefeated against Carm. If that is considered that. I know. I, I feel like I've heard that before. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll go to Carm's favorite NBA team the Philadelphia 76ers oh, why thank you they play in just about a half an hour at home against the Sacramento Kings who have been playing well lately light the beam however they did just lose badly on the road to the New York Knicks the Sixers are favored by four okay Philly is without uh Tyrese Maxey tonight but aside from that they've got pretty much the whole group They're Joel star- has been remarkable yes. he just put up fi- 53 the other night again yeah Melton's out too but of the main Daniel main guys House. P.J. Tucker, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, Thibault, and too. Harden are all in the lineup. I, I don't think Harden makes that much of a difference, to be honest. But Joel Embiid is very good, and I think he's going to be better than whoever the Kings throw at him. It's a four-point line. It's a four-point spread. Sixers are going to cover that. They're going to win by more than four, and I will get to seven and six on the semester. Eddie Boy, I, for, for the sake of the Sixers and for your sake, I hope that happens. What do you mean for oh. Joel Embiid. <laughs> Joel. really threatening him. No. <laughs> Joel Embiid's been a beast this year, and there's been injuries. It's been up and down, what have you. They're fifth right now in the in the uh, the Eastern Conference. I'm loving Joel Embiid more and more. I've always loved the guy, what my, my favorite player in the NBA. But he's putting up 53 every time you turn around. I think he had a f- 53 and 17 versus uh, Charlotte the other night. Yes. So I mean, the guy's incredible. And even with the injuries, with the you know wear and tear, what have you, Joel's Joel, and he's playing awesome. Dennis, do you have something, sir? Uh, sure, I do have something. Uh, we're getting into college football bowl season. Oh, yeah. So I get to talk about college football again. 
Uh, first day is Friday. The second bowl of the slate is the Duluth Trading Cure Bowl. Uh, two ranked teams on there. Number 24, Troy. Number 25, UTSA. Uh, Troy favored by a point and a half. I like UTSA in this one. Uh, I don't have huge reasoning for it. Both of these teams have been very good since the beginning of the season. Neither team has lost since their third game of the season. Both teams started off against like a couple of good ranked opponents that they weren't really anticipated to beat. Um, and that's where their only losses come from on the season. Uh, still, I'd rather give it to UTSA because I think they've played a little bit better recently against slightly better competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Troy, I mean... Didn't have a great game against Army, not a great game against UL Lafayette. Uh, they, they've been too willing to put up no points in a game. Uh, so I'll take UTSA straight up in this one. Let me actually see what the number on this is. Plus 105. I'll take UTSA plus 105. I have a friend who goes to UTSA. They have a very good football team. And they play they at the Alamo Dome, one of the most classic stadiums. They also do. Yes. Well, They're a fun team. I think it's time for the Alex Carmody t- guarantee. It mm. is. Back in 1994. Dennis is the last one. Let me say my piece, please. This is the I, last I, one. I Why, is it changing in the spring? Are you going to have a new? Maybe. Okay. He's going to have a new guarantee. Or maybe not. But it's the last one of the fall semester. Fair enough. Back in 1994, Mark Messier of the New York Rangers guaranteed a Game 6 Eastern Conference Finals victory against the New Jersey Devils. I guarantee we're going to win Game 6. What happened? They won Game 6. He had a hat-trick. The Rangers won 3-2. Then they forced games. They then forced Game 7. They won Game 7 at home in overtime. Stefan Matteau. Matteau, Matteau, Matteau. Historical. The Rangers go to the Finals. They then beat the Vancouver Canucks in seven games. Sam Rosen once said, this will last a lifetime. It has because they have not won since 1994. My point is, just like Mark Messier guaranteed a Game 6 Eastern Conference Finals victory on May 25th, 1994, I guarantee, I guarantee like Mark Messier guarantees. We know. I know. I guarantee that on December 17th, 2022, not only is Rutgers men's basketball going to win that game, but they're going to win by double digits. I guarantee a bounce-back effort for Rutgers men's basketball this Saturday at the JMA in Piscataway with Ed the Shed, Ed the Shed on the call with Ellis Gordon. I guarantee they're also going to have a great call, but I guarantee that Cam, Spence, uh, that Cam Spencer and Rutgers men's basketball, they're going to have a solid performance versus Wake Forest, and they're going to win by double digits. Well, I appreciate that I am part of the lock as well. Have mm-hmm. we been keeping track of Alex? Okay, wait. Actually, wait. Last week you said Caleb McConnell was going to score like 20 or something? 16. Or six, 16. 16. Dennis, can you get a fact check on that? Uh, which game was this? Ohio State. I don't think Ohio he did. State, I don't think he got there. I don't think, I think, he think did. he's just under. I want to say he put up like 15 in that game. I'll check real quick. Because you said Rutgers was going to win, and, you know, we can make the argument. According, uh, uh, according to net, they won. So that's what I, I don't even know if they were given the win by net or if it's just a loss by one point on the road against a very good team gives you enough leeway to where if some other stuff shuffles around, then they'll give it to you. But um, I'm just stalling to actually check the number. Uh, Caleb McConnell put up five points against Ohio State. Ooh. All right. All right. He and did then, not score an Olympico either. Yeah, there was no uh, – who the MD Myers Olympico number. No, happened. it was Jackson Temple. Jackson Temple, who never takes the corners. But oh, I saw you know MD what? Myers today. <laughs> 
You did see him Myers, yeah. did you now? I, wa- I walked by him on College Avenue. He's a classy Scott guy. Hall. He just came yeah. back from North Carolina. Yeah. He was having a MLS uh, showcase, I believe, down in North Carolina yeah, this past week. Yeah, I was surprised. I, I'm usually like uh, the, the, the high rollers like that. I'm not used to just seeing around on campus. Like, I had a class with, like, one of the, the golfers this year. But, really? like, it's like, okay, I can't expect to see, like, a golfer Every time around, I but... left my class, uh, Monday morning and Thursday morning, I would see Sarah Brocious walking by. Mm. Same building. Well, that's Down the, the thing line. as well where everybody else is in, like, more uh, more athlete-heavy majors than me. <laughs> like, there are more athletes in, in your, your discipline of study. That's fair. So there aren't a whole true. lot of statistics. That, maybe. Athletes. My uh, class, me, Dylan Allen, and Coach Hahn, we have uh, Ash Moynihan from uh, Rutgers Women's Lacrosse. Do you really? I have uh, or had Erica Lafayette. And Michelle Warren in my musical cultures and and industries class. I also have Ashley Moynihan asynchronously with David Love on media ethics and law. Wow. Yes, I do. That is wild. That is wild indeed. What do you know? It is a small world. I would also like to to briefly bring up very important news. Uh, John Rothstein has responded to our new banner. He has? Yes, he has responded to it. What do you say? He he just said it's Fred's. <laughs> Let's go. He responded to the banner. Oh yeah. wow! And oh, what just do you for know? context for the listeners. Uh, we... Yeah, let's let's actually bring up the context. Okay, for this. so go go all the way back. Okay, so we we wanted to get a flag for WRSU. You know, the people people who live in college dorms, a lot of them have these big flags. You never know what they're gonna be. And we were thinking, we I need have to a get... flag for the Kilkenny County uh, hurling team. Ooh, who? yeah. Kilkenny County. Is that in Virginia? No, it's in Ireland. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, close enough. But we wanted something a little more relevant. So we wanted to go in the Rutgers basketball route, and we were like, hey, why don't we get a flag made of Steve Peichel pounding nails? And Jack revealed it last week at the meeting. We just had to figure out where to put it. Today it was put up in the newsroom, and uh, WRSU Sports, follow us on Twitter, at WRSU Sports. We tweeted out. Nice plug, pal. Yeah, thank you. Some new wall decor for our studio, and we tagged Rutgers men's basketball and John Rothstein. A bunch of people, quote, tweeted it spreads, including me and Jack and Alec, and now, as of three minutes, Minutes ago, Mr. Rothstein himself, John Rothstein, said it spreads, and Christian replied, "It's a tremendous addition to our studio." To John Rothstein, what a guy! I'll say this much: John Rothstein, you've become a class act. You're a classy guy, and at the same time, I would love to have the pleasure of having John Rothstein on the program, if possible. If he's listening, Johnny boy, hopefully you're listening. <laughs> We would love to have you on the crew. Give us a call. Shoot us a text. Shoot, shoot us a DM on Twitter, whatever. And uh, we would love. We, we would be honored if you came on our program, the WRSU crew, to talk about Steve Peichel pounding some nails. And I'll be honest, if you're if you are indeed listening, John Rothstein, I'm calling you a class act. That is a big deal. It is a big deal. A big yeah. deal. It is. Oh, what do you know? Alec Krauthammel just tweeted 52 seconds ago. John Rothstein, class act, shouting out at WRSU Sports. <laughs> it spreads. Christian, Christian also, also said Rothstein is a class act. <laughs> yeah. Did he really? <laughs> he keeps calling him a class act. He, I mean, he is. He, 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 is. he is a class act. <laughs> He's a very classy guy. What can I tell you? Johnny Boy, you're a class act. Carm wants him on the program. Christian, you're right. I would love to have him on the program. It would be an honor. He's a great guy. I, mean, I remember our ride back from the Mohegan Sun. I was just going through. It was a big college basketball Friday. We were just reading all of John Rothstein's tweets. There were so many epitome of brutality moments. 
<laughs> and he was just reading John Rothstein's tweets to me as I was driving back. It was really good. <laughs> because every time a you know a, a, a top tier school loses to either a mid major or loses to like D two somehow, aka Louisville, aka cough, cough, Louisville, um, uh, John Rothstein tweets that it was the epitome of brutality. And that day there just happened to be several upsets, and I think he tweeted like twelve times that there were epitomes of brutality happening all over the country. And it, it was pretty entertaining. And, of course, he tweets Steve Peichel pounding nails after every Rutgers win. That's Which right. we now have on a flag. Which we do. In the newsroom. And John Rothstein has recognized it and said that it spreads. What a, it and, again, John, what a class act you are. No, seriously. I would love to have John Rothstein come on the program. That'd be great. It would. That'd be great. It'd be phenomenal. He's a class act. And Christian Vasquez agrees. And and our former host for today, Alec Krathamel, he agrees. So, mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Come on, two votes right there from two class acts alone. Alex a class act, Christian Vasquez is a class act, you're a class act, and the shed. Christian Vasquez is our, so Dennis uh, our member, here. not the our GM. catcher for the, who did he sign with? Uh, the Twins. The Twins. Oh, yes. yes that's just, well, 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 when we go to Minnesota, we'll just drop him off next, next month, true. Eddie. We'll yeah, just do that. He said it last night. We're putting him in the access kit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. We'll do that. We'll dump him off in Talking Field. Yes. <laughs> All right. On that note, let's uh, let's take a break. When we All come right. back, it's time for Can We Just Talk. I do have a subject that I want to bring up for Can We Just Talk. Oh, do you now? I know what it is. Yes. Uh, we were going to talk WRSU fantasy later, but I have a sub story about the biggest we'll fantasy we'll joke of all time. Yes, we got we got okay. a lot of fantasy to talk about. Okay. So uh, stay with us. Eddie Kalegi, Alex Carminati, Dennis Geisler. You're listening to WRSU Tuesday Crew on 88.7 FM and WRSU.org. Times are challenging. And we at WRSU FM New Brunswick are doing our part to connect our listeners with local resources. If you are in need of food assistance, the Elijah's Promise Community Food Kitchen is open seven days a week from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at their location on 18 Nielsen Street in New Brunswick. Please email food at elijahspromise.org. That's food at elijahspromise.org. Any questions? Thank you for listening. We are stronger together. Three transition. Euro step from Smeichel and she gets it to go. It's City Bay has to shoot it. City Bay a long triple. Yes! Rutgers women's basketball is off to a thrilling start in their first season under new head coach Coquise Washington. Their season continues as they head into Big Ten play. WRSU is your home for all things Rutgers women's basketball, including live coverage of every game. It's all right here on 88.7 WRSU FM New Brunswick and online at WRSU.org. Can we just talk? We can talk a lot. We'll be talking for two hours as a whole, as is the Tuesday crew on WRSU FM New Brunswick, 88.7 FM. Also online at WRSU.org, our GM, Dennis Geisler, is towards my left. Ed the Shed, Eddie Kalegi. That's my name, Eddie Kalegi, he's towards my right. I'm Alex Carbonati. And gentlemen, can we just talk? What What on God's green earth are we talking about? Uh, well, it's it, it, it is finally the well. This past week was the final regular season week for fantasy football for most fantasy football leagues. So it was the end of the WRSU one, but it was also the end of another one for Eddie. Which I want to give him the time to rant first before I start complaining about fantasy football. Yeah. So, so what happened, pal? Okay. First of all, prerequisite: Daddy, Daddy noticed me for WRSU did make the playoffs. We will oh, look at the full nice. playoff we'll talk about in that a later, minutes. Yeah. But okay. 
Now, last night, for those who watched Monday Night Football, it was a heartbreaking night for a lot of fantasy owners because, as Dennis said, most leagues ended uh, this week, the regular season. So the last game was Kyler Murray blowing out his knee. Oh, yeah. And that, that caused a lot of chaos. Oh, sure. Now, I had two leagues where I kind of got screwed. One of them, a team I do with my dad, I've done every year since I was six, and we had a rough start. We were 0-6, but we had won five of the last seven, and we were all of a sudden had a chance to potentially grab a playoff spot. And it was, we had James Conner, and our opponent said the Patriots defense. Oh my goodness. And Kyler Murray got hurt, and we were like, okay, well, maybe James Conner can get some points, and he did, but then the Patriots' defense dropped 20, and we lost. So after our big rebound, we ended up missing the playoffs. And James Conner got hurt, too. Uh, yeah, towards the end, but he still had, like, 20-something points. Oh, really? That being said, that's not the worst thing that happened. So I do a fantasy league with my friends that I do a podcast with, and my team was doing well. So let me just set the stage for the listeners. It's a 10-team league. There's two divisions of five, and... The top four teams make the playoffs. So the division winners and two wild cards. There was one team that had already locked it in. They were great. They were 12 and 1. They were set. Then you had me and three other teams who were all 9 and 4 coming into the last week. Wow. Our tiebreaker was total points. I have more points than all three of these people by 200 plus points. So I have the tiebreaker over all of them. So, all I need to do is take care of business, and I can get the two seed. The two seed in the league. So, things were going well. Two of the other nine and four teams, they were, they were playing against bad teams. So, they were set to win. And we knew as of last night that they had won. They were going to be ten and four. I was playing against the third nine and four team. So, it was really a situation then, winner take all, whichever one of us wins makes the playoffs. So we come to last night, and the other two have secured. They're going to be 10-4. and four. Winner of our game moves on. Loser of our game goes home. But remember, I had the tiebreaker over everybody. So I had a lead going into the night of about, I think it was 12 points. And I had Ramadre Stevenson, who's been one of the best fantasy backs this year. And he had the Patriots defense. Mm. And I came in with a 12-point lead. And according to ESPN Fantasy, I know Dennis loves his statistics. We had an 87% chance to not only make the playoffs, but get the two seed. So I had an 87% chance going into the night to get the two seed. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be the second best team. I'm going to win my division. Then what happens? Kyler Murray gets hurt. And I'm like, oh no. Now the Patriots defense is going to feast against Colt McCoy. But all hope is not lost. Now, I was here at the studio when that happened. Dylan was much more freaked out, as we'll talk about in the RSU League momentarily, (laughs) because he had Kyler Murray himself. But I realized, wait a second, I still have Ramadre Stevenson. He's been a good running back. He can still get some points. And hey, if the Patriots keep getting the ball because of their defense and they have a big lead, maybe they'll start running the ball more and I can rack up some points. Then what happens? Because of the turf in Glendale, Arizona, Ramadre Stevenson hurts his ankle and he only gets three points for the night. So then I'm screwed and then I'm just hoping that the Patriots defense is going to stop getting points or maybe they'll get knocked down. No, they keep getting takeaways on Colt McCoy. They get a defensive touchdown and I lose by 10. So I go from having an 87% chance to get the two seed (laughs) to missing the playoffs. And I finished fifth. 
The next closest team to me is four games back, had five wins. Oh it was a top-heavy league. We had five good teams going for four spots. I had almost a 90% chance going to the night to not just get a playoff spot, to win my division, have the number two seed. I'm like the New York Mets this year. I led my division 12 of 14 weeks. And you blew it, and I you blew folded it like a cheap suit. The last suit. game, yes, I folded like a cheap folded suit. Like a cheap I suit. choked like a dog. All of your catchphrases. <laughs> it all happened. And... All because of the turf in Glendale, Arizona, and now I'm going to be playing in some meaningless consolation tournament against some team with five wins. Eddie so, boy. That's my rant. Eddie boy, I feel your pain at the same time. You know what? That just happens. That's life. It does. It, but that's life. That's, life. 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 that's, life. that's right. That's no, life. 13% killed A 13% chance. Became a reality. And there's one more factor to this. There's an are you screw wrapped in on this as well. Is there now? Because my running backs on this team are Christian McCaffrey and Ramadre Stevenson. I wasn't turning away from them. However, the person I had on my bench that I drafted <laughs> was Isaiah Pacheco. So <laughs> the reason you benched Isaiah Pacheco. So the reason starting him the reason I even had Isaiah Pacheco <laughs> was because the way we did our league, it was like with a gimmick draft with like a, some sort of thing for each round, and you had to draft someone in one round that went to the college that you attend. Okay. So I was like, okay, I'll take Isaiah Pacheco. Everybody was like, oh, he's not going to score a lot of points, but he was a bench player on my team. If I had started Isaiah Pacheco, <laughs> I would have won by point three. Wow. I would have won by point three. Point three, a difference between missing the playoffs and getting the two seed. And 13% killed you. Yep. So, of course, wow. are you screw? And I am going to be playing in a constellation tournament against a team who is five and nine and has Russell Wilson, Broncos country, let's ride as their quarterback. <laughs> oh, <so laughs> who got like hurt? Brett. So, 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 so like, like, I think it's McCoy who's playing against Brett in our constellation. Yes. yes. I, I am Dylan McCoy now. <laughs> in but, another realm. But, but in yeah, I mean, this league, something very, very exciting has been determined. Yes. The champagne so, so, chosen boy. So, so let's, let's go to let, RSU. Let, let's, step, let's step all the way back. So on the WRSU one, our uh, we had it. We we we've kind of been riffing on it for a while. <laughs> um, the the bottom the bottom finisher was Moshe Golubchik. Uh, he cannot go to the champagne trip, so we have given him a separate punishment. <laughs> Uh, the honor of producing six hours of Big Ten wrestling. Yes. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Um, Dylan Allen was the one who finished 4-10 uh, and 10 in 13th place. So and once be again, heading. that is because Kyler Murray that got is, hurt. That is 100% yep. because Kyler Murray got hurt. Yep. I think he had like a 77% chance to win. Yep, 77 entering, going into the night. Yep. A- entering because he had Kyler Murray and DeAndre uh, DeHop. Um, it was going to be Jack who was going to be second to last, and then yes, that happened. Jack, Jack would have fallen down to yeah. last if DA had won that, which he needed 19 points between Kyler Murray and D-Hop and just didn't happen. So Jack Basea bought a break. Um, so Jack Basea did buy quite a big break there. Um, so that's what happened on the bottom end. Uh, a couple other 5-9 and nine finishers, Palumbo, Jack, Brett Hahn, uh, six and eight, Dylan McCoy. Those are all the ones who were eliminated, basically, from the playoffs by this week. I finished in eighth. I had a seven and seven record. My light complaint here, I do want to complain a little bit. I did get lucky at a couple points over the season, but roll back in your mind to week 12. Uh, it's me against Arnov. I have uh, Najee Harris, Monday Night Football, uh, against uh, Indiana or Indianapolis. He gets injured in like the third quarter of the game with 35 running yards. Imagine, if you will, he comes back onto the field. 
uh, like on one leg. They give him like a bubble screen. He loses five yards, but because it's full PPR, he gets 0.5 yards on that. Or alternatively, he plays one more play. He gets a rush yard, a rush of like four yards. Mm-hmm. I would have made the playoffs. You're kidding me. I would have beaten Arnov because I lost to Arnov by less than 0.4, less than four-tenths of a point. Oh, my goodness. And if I had beaten Arnov, I would have jumped to him in the standings. I would have jumped Ellis because I have more points than Ellis, and I would have made the playoffs. Um, wow. So that's pretty disappointing. <laughs> um, but as it is, our playoff contestants, uh, Gideon and Christian, I believe, have the two buys. Yes. Uh, Jake... Eddie, John, and Arnov Pittsburgh are the other Steelers, teams. Pittsburgh Steelers, Jake Maystel? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, actually. Uh, Jake will be playing against Arnov in the first round. Eddie will be playing against John. Again, getting John Hartnett with the playoffs? Yeah, John Hartnett made the John, playoffs. His John Hartnett. Decent. Well, I mean, from what I heard, yeah. John Hartnett put up 43 points. 47 <laughs> put up 43 points. points at and, I mean, that's kind of what Ellis did this week. It was it was a, oh it was a win or go home match. I was up by between... 90 when the Rutgers-Seton <laughs> Hall game started on Ellis. Between... I checked my phone one more time. It was 118 to 28. Now, I will say. Ellis ended up putting up 65 points yes. in that one. Eddie had about 120. As much wow. as I've complained about that other league and as much as I've complained about Darnell Mooney this entire year, <laughs> I can't complain about what happened in week 14 because I had some problems because, as you know, I stacked my roster with Packers, and you yep. guys were off. Yep. So Aaron Jones, Alan Lazard, Robert Tanyan couldn't play any of them. Yep. I was Ryan down to my Fitzpatrick, f- he was out. Oh, yeah, Robert Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's been out for him. a while. Yeah. <laughs> He's been too busy he on, on TV. His, he was on his bye week. Yeah. <laughs> Jacoby Myers, concussion. <laughs> Dallas yeah. Goddard's mm-hmm. on the IR. Jawan Johnson is hurt. Oh, you're all banged up. Yeah, so Mm. I had to make some executive decisions, some business decisions, when I went into the player portal and tried to pick up some guys. And then I made all four decisions I made worked out. Number one, I saw Boston Scott was available. Boston Scott scores a touchdown every single time he plays the Giants. What did he do? He scored a touchdown. So that was good. Then I found this guy, Chris Moore from the Texans. I had never heard of him in my life. But (laughs) they said, oh, he's going to be their primary target against the Cowboys. 2.3% rostered. Yep. Wow. 10 catches, 124 yards, 22 points against Dallas in Jerry World. Very good. That worked. You also can't forget the the Zay Jones trade earlier in the year. Yes, I was about to mention that. Fourth string tight end, Austin Hooper. Got me 12 points. And then Zay Jones, who was a bench player all year, had to flex him in my lineup. I got him when I got him and Daryl Henderson for Hayden Hurst from Brett a few weeks ago. Hurst has been hurt. Daryl Henderson got released. So basically, it's just a free uh, Zay Jones pickup from Brett. And he got me 21 points, eight catches, 77 yards. What's Coach doing on that move? Coach Hahn ain't, you know, making some bold moves here. That, that, That was a dumb move by the coach. But what matters is that... Daddy, Daddy, notice me, is going to the 2022 WRSU playoffs against John Hartnett. I don't know. I lost to him already this season. Imagine you lose to John Hartnett in the playoffs who put up 43 points one week. He does have Joe Burrow, <laughs> Derrick Henry, crazy. Miles Sanders, Metcalf, Cooper, C.D. Lamb. He's got a good roster. Wow. Mm-hmm. He does. So it's not going to be easy. You know He's what? still starting Irv Smith. <laughs> Wait, what? Wait, he's been on the IR <laughs> for weeks. this week. <laughs> He almost beat Giddy, and he still has Irv Smith. <laughs> and he uh, has another active tight end on his roster. He has Higby on his bench. He's Why crazy. is he playing him? He's just too crazy. <laughs> Speaking of tight ends, I could have put up 160 points this week if I started uh, Evan Engram instead of Corey Davis. I assume that Corey Davis would be playing and that Evan Engram would not put up 39 points, but... Turns out things are wrong sometimes. I now have four active tight ends on my roster, so I'm going to have oh to make a roster goodness. move here. Yeah. 
at the end of the day, I'm, I'm I'm pretty happy with my results. I drafted Isaiah Pacheco in the first round, and I finished in the middle of the pack. No, it worked that way, pal. I, I was I was four rushing yards away from making the playoffs. That's pretty impressive. And let's keep in mind, Isaiah, Isaiah Pacheco, Pacheco played pretty well. Like he's just been Isaiah Pacheco is the number one guy mm-hmm. now in Kansas. City. As he should be I as thought, a rookie. I, which I is had incredible. the vision at the start of the season. I said Isaiah Pacheco is actually going to be that guy. I didn't do it totally as a joke. I knew he was going to be good, and that he was going to end up getting a lot of play this season. Right, right, right. So I, I don't know. I, Dennis, I'll I'll give you credit for that because Pacheco <laughs> has taken over. He's been mm-hmm. a star so far for Kansas City, and Clyde's Edwards Hilaire is just in the back right now. Yeah, I he, mean, he's not doing anything. No, anymore. he's not. It's, it's McKinnon I, and Pacheco. Isaiah stole the job, mm-hmm. and he's been incredible. And we touched on it a little bit last night on the crew. What he's been able to do it just shows what can happen when you come to Rutgers, when you play great at Rutgers, it's and true. you represent Rutgers at the professional level. And Pacheco's that ultimate example. And the guy's a seventh-round pick, too. So what he's been able to do is absolutely remarkable. We tip his hat to him. And if he was a championship this year, in his rookie year, he's definitely a main reason as to why Kansas City wins a Super Bowl if they do this season. Incredible yeah. stuff. But Dylan Allen <laughs> is the very, very fortunate winner out of all of this. Yeah, he gets to go to Champaign, Illinois. For a second time this year. Be, because, of, because of how things shook out, we're going to uh, allow Alex Carminati to Yay! get his wonderful Champaign trip. I'm going to Champaign. <laughs> to go as well. I'm going to Champaign, Illinois with my good friend Dylan Allen. We'll see Rutgers play the Fighting Illini at State Farm Center. It's February 12th? Fe- February 11th, 11th, I think. Somewhere around Whatever there. that Saturday is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I have the pleasure of going to do beautiful... Urbana Champaign, Illinois. It's the 11th. Beautiful Champaign with Dylan Allen. 